Amen. Thank you, John. Great song. Great song. Great anthem uh, for our city. Uh, I'm delighted this morning that we've got a guest with us. Captain Kevin Delano is here, Fred and Jill's son. Uh, he is the Commodore Training Wing 4 from Corpus Christi. And delighted, Kevin, that you're with us this morning. And you unfortunately don't get to hear your dad preach, but you get to hear me preach. So, And last week, uh, Frank did a great job, sir. Uh, a preach and a half. Literally. I think he went on for an hour, okay? Uh, but here's also what's exciting. This week we had Joel preaching and Dorian preaching. Two young guys at the other end of the spectrum from Pastor Frank. And I reckon half my age as well. And they're preaching. And uh, this is really exciting. Pastor Seth, who, what age is Pastor Seth? You know, 21? I don't know what age he is, okay? 26, okay? He's preaching. So uh, it's just great to see these young guys preach and teach. I was, I was in Reno last weekend preaching, not playing, preaching. And, uh, and then I had to go down to meetings in the Bay Area, and uh, we were talking about raising up young leaders who would lead our churches in the coming decades ahead. And we pledged to raise up 200 young leaders in the next three to five years. Uh, because we want to make Christian full-time ministry a dream when our young men and young women are dreaming. And we want to ask them to take the risks of leading a church in San Francisco or the Bay Area or somewhere, because we know that that is a risk to try to get people in the Bay Area to come to know Christ. And that takes more guts and more courage and pays off bigger dividends than, you know, letting our young people just run off to do their own risks of extreme sports or expert gamers or whatever they're going to be. Uh, so, so how many of these young men and young women will come from South Valley Community Church? How many young men and women from this church will say, I'm not going to chase after the dream of becoming, you know, my next career in education or my next career in business or my next career in farming or my next career in the military, but I'm going to give my life to see men and women come to know Christ through leading churches. And see, the harvest isn't the problem. Like, you go into the Bay Area and it's like 0.5% people go to church. The harvest is not the problem. It's the laborers that are the problem. I think, I think Jesus said that. <laughs> uh, so, we're excited to see what comes and the role of people from South Valley Community Church. And if you're between ages of 18 and 24, talk to me. And let's see what can happen, okay? Uh, now, we're doing a series, What If Upside Down is the Right Way Up? And can you remember the defining words of Jesus I shared with you on Labor Weekend? Seek first the kingdom of God. Uh, there's a fascinating line in C.S. Lewis's classic book called Mere Christianity. And I, I, this is just brilliant. Are you ready for it? It's going to be on the screens, okay? The world is a great sculptor shop, and we are statues. But there is a rumor going around the shop that some of us are someday going to come to life. Some of us are someday going to come to life. This is brilliant. Like, if we take the words of Jesus seriously, then living the way of Jesus... Living as a Christ follower is the best possible way to live. And if it's not the best possible way to live, 
then Jesus was a liar. This is it. This is the message of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. There is a way that you can live that leads to life. There's a rumor going around the shop that some of us are someday going to come to life and instep Jesus to earth, to time. And he launched his mission in the backside of the desert in a two-bit town called Kalinga. I mean, Cabernium, okay? And he told them that, as he told people everywhere, the kingdom of God has now come. In other words, there is this new way to live, a way that breathes and pulsates with the very life of God in and through you. Eternal life is here now. And thousands of people, thousands of people flocked to him and followed him to drink of that water. As a boy, my mother brought me up always to wear clean underwear. <laughs> she had this mantra that cleanliness was next to godliness. And some, some mothers would shout to their children as they leave for school, love you, Joy. And others shout, see you later, buddy. Some shout, you got your lunch with you? My mother shouted, you got on clean underpants, Gilbert. This was her emergency plan, just in case I ended up in the hospital. For some people, that's what Christianity is about. Not, not clean underwear, although that's, that's beneficial. Uh, it's an emergency plan, just in case you end up dead one day. And most definitely, this is part of the plan. Because one day you will end up dead. And Jesus promises everlasting life. Today, you can have the fear of death removed. Jesus can give you that. But he also promised eternal life, beginning now. The life of heaven breaking through on earth. His kingdom come. And so, not just life after death, but life before death. Living life in the kingdom of God is the fullest and the truest life anyone can know on the planet. It's living your life as if, as if Jesus was living your life. Not necessarily doing everything that he did. Although the old water into wine trick, <laughs> I wouldn't mind having that power sometimes. But doing everything you do in the manner with which he did it. So, how do we start? Well, it all starts in the mind. The mind is the primary place where the kingdom of God breaks through. John Milton, the poet, epic poem he wrote, Paradise Lost, he had a line in it which said this, the mind is its own place and in itself can make a hell of heaven and a heaven of hell. The mind. If you have a Bible, I want to read just two or three verses from Luke's Gospel, chapter 6. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, Jesus is speaking 
And uh, he brings out a metaphor uh, for us to kind of grasp uh, as it talks about this concept of the mind and the kingdom of God. Listen to Luke 6, verse 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorns, nor are grapes picked from brambles. The good person out of the good treasury of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasury produces evil, for his mouth speaks from what fills his heart. And there's only three verses, but boy, they're powerful verses. The kingdom of God is always challenging, if not turning upside down, the operating practices and values of our society. And today I want to talk about two laws and try to do it all in 15 or 16 minutes, okay? So hang with me. Let me ask you a real simple question. What kind of fruit does a peach tree produce? Peach. A little harder. What kind of fruit does a fig tree produce? Figs. The first point is really deep. <laughs> it was hot at the coast this week. I was struggling for focus. It reached 81, okay? And on Thursday, Friday, my right now, it was just too hot to think, okay? This law might be called the law of the tree. What's going on inside the tree determines what gets produced outside the tree. The idea here is that uh, there is this constant flow of thoughts, of perceptions, of emotions, and they take on certain patterns and tendencies, and these determine your fruits. And in this little parable, the fruits are your behaviors, your actions. Over the last many years, so many studies have supported this reality. Since the 1950s, uh, the work of Noam Chomsky, uh, one of the most dominant movements in American psychology is what's known as cognitive psychology. Uh, and this is built around more or less the single truth. The way that you think is the single most determinant point about you. The way you think is the single most determinant point about you. The way you think creates your attitudes, it shapes your emotions, it influences your immune systems. Now, this was a play when Jesus was around. At the time of Jesus, Jesus initiated a huge ethical clash with the Pharisees of the day. Both the Pharisees, religious leaders, and Jesus were concerned about the people behaving the way that God wanted them to behave. And by the way, they both went about that there was to get people to behave as God wanted them to behave, but they went about it very, very differently. The Pharisee way was to build a fence around the law. So it went like this here. To stop you sinning, to stop you misbehaving, you would apply not only the law of Moses, but let's put a buffer zone around that law to give it even more protection. For instance, the, the, the law of Moses says, do not commit adultery. So the rabbis, the Pharisees, would teach their fence, their, their buffer zone would be, don't talk to a woman. A, a group of Pharisees went even further. They said, don't even look at a woman. 
So these Pharisees used to walk around with their heads down. And they keep walking into walls or into posts, you know. They became known as the bloody Pharisees because of blood in their head. These were known as the traditions of the elders, 523 sections, each with 10 to 14 paragraphs, later codified into what was known as the Mishnah. It went crazy. If a clean bird sits on an egg of an, of an, of an unclean bird, is that chicken clean or unclean? If a person gets ready to offer a meal offering, but they're not fully clothed, is the offering clean or unclean? If a dog eats, eats from a carcass and then sits on your house doorstep, is your house unclean? This is a heavy yoke. But, but Jesus came in from a completely different, fundamentally different approach. If you aim at behavior, doing what's right and avoiding what's wrong, it's a setup for failure. You must aim instead at becoming the kind of person who wants to do good. So rather than teaching where the fence is and all the bad things over the fence, Jesus guided us to enjoy and play in the huge field that's far away from the fence. Like in the old days, you used to have to be told sometimes, as a, you know, can, can a Christian, you know, dance? Can a Christian go to cinemas? Can a Christian smoke? Or, or nowadays, can a, can a Christian have a tattoo? Can a Christian drink alcohol? Can a Christian date a girl who has a tattoo or drinks alcohol? But that's the wrong way to look at it. You're playing in the wrong field. There's a huge difference between kingdom living and behavior modification. But churches and pastors and pulpits and Bible studies and youth groups have been specialists in behavior modification lectures. And, and some pastors have made millions of dollars writing books on Pharisee-style Christianity. Big names and names, some of you buy their books and hold them up as models of spirituality. But it's aimed at behaving, not at becoming. And it's heavy guilt-driven, and it's a heavy yoke. And the key fundamental mistake people make in spiritual life is that they aim at changing or managing their behaviors, and they do not know how to take concrete, practical steps to allow God to change the stream of thoughts and emotions that flow in me from one moment to the next, which inevitably determine my behaviors and who I'm becoming. My will, at best, can struggle to sometimes overcome habitual behavior systems. No, with real effort, an alcoholic can stop drinking. With real effort, a shopaholic can stop shopping. With real effort, a long-time Raiders fan could repent and support a team that's good. But my will can never overcome habitual patterns of thinking and feeling. 
If you aim at behavior change without understanding the law of the tree, you're set up for failure and frustration and guilt. And the church has been very good at causing you to have frustration and guilt. Rather than aim at behaviors, we must aim at people, at our thoughts and at our feelings. And the law of the tree says, my behaviors outside the tree is merely the result of what's going on inside the tree. So what's going on inside the tree? Within your head, within your mind. And this leads us to the second law the law of exposure. Your mind will think most about what it is most exposed to. Jesus put it like this. We are storing things up in our hearts all the time. And remember, in ancient Near Eastern culture, the heart was not the seat of your emotions. The heart was the seat of your will, your mind. Okay? So, uh, your intellect. So, so, when Jesus says we're storing up things in our heart, we're storing up good and bad or true and false. And what enters your mind repeatedly shapes your mind and will ultimately express itself in your behaviors. So, that law cannot be violated. Like, no one goes on to the NASCAR circuit trying to race on low-octane fuel. And, and nobody is selected for the U.S. Olympic team and goes on a Twinkie and Oreos diet. And no one has a baby and lets it just eat what it wants. Like when that first child is born, you're pedantic. Like the pacifier falls on the floor. You pick it up. You rinse it in hot water. Then you place it in the sterilizer. And you let it soak in purifying solution for five minutes. And then using tongs, you lift it out and place it in the mouth of the kid. Second child comes along and it falls out. You pick it up and you run, there, you run it under boiling water and you let it cool off before giving it to the kid. My youngest brother was child number three. It fell out the pacifier. I was allowed to pick it up, spit on it, and give it back to the kid. <laughs> but we all understand this. What you put in will eventually come out. But what is so amazing and so ironic that the most important area of who we are, our minds, inside the control tower of our entire lives, we disregard this truth. We forget the law of exposure. And then when the law is outworked, we act shocked. We will allow our minds to be exposed to filth, to yuck, to blatant sin, and we wonder why we behave in such ways. The law of exposure is as inviolable as the law of gravity. What we watch on our TV screens or our cinema screens or our phone screens, the sexual images, the violent images, the selfish images, the stimulation for more and more images. It's utterly predictable that we have a society like we have. We broadcast it right into our minds. Jesus said this would happen. 
out of evil stored up in our hearts, and remember, hearts as minds, out of evil stored up in our minds, evil things come. It's the law of the tree. During every day, you will store up certain things in your mind, and then those results are utterly predictable. You listen to preachers or you read books or podcasts of pastors who spout hate or arrogance or bigotry or show no grace. They judge everyone. Well, what kind of Christian are you going to become? Exactly like that guy. So let me summarize how this works. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're shooting to be the most debauched person in Lamar. Like, maybe your goal is debauchery, lechery, and depravity. Sounds like a law firm. <laughs> the good news is that if you want to cultivate that kind of mind, it's not hard. Just watch lots of TV or YouTube or Netflix or act like your politicians or behave like certain people who run certain news networks. That's what you'll become. The Apostle Paul is one of the best teachers on this stuff. Romans chapter 8, he says, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. So let me describe how this works for you, just in case you're not too clear on it. He's more successful than me, and that makes me feel bad. I hope something bad comes his way. There's a girl jogging up ahead. I wonder if she's attractive enough so I can get a little jolt of sexual justification. I'll just speed up to catch her. That guy next to me has a more expensive car than me. He must be greedy. That guy next to me has a junkier car than me. He must be pretty low-functioning. I'm late for this meeting, and the truth is, I didn't allow enough time to get here. But I'll just say it was the traffic. I'll just spin the truth so that I can manage other people's impressions of me. She's so attractive. I feel threatened by her. I'd like to believe bad things about her. how we play. This is you and this is me. These are the kind of thoughts that are hostile to the life of God pulsating through me. And they lead to sinful behaviors. How many of you are sitting next to someone who's had thoughts like that? <laughs> Never you. But so many Christians try to live their lives by stopping bad behavior. And they don't know what is going on inside them is what's causing them to behave the way they are. Here's the awful reality. This is an awful reality. Christians, Bible-believing Christians, are not seen by our society as people who espouse goodness and loving behavior and good behavior. That's not how society sees us. 
just for a few minutes, what this week have you allowed your mind to be exposed to that could generate bad behavior? You've been around gossip? You've been around people who are bitter and angry? What have you surfed on the TV? What about that selfish person that you take coffee with or that racist person? Very quickly, there are three dominant moods of a mind hostile to God. Three dominant moods. Resentment, anxiety, and unsatisfied desire. Three dominant moods of a mind that is hostile to God. Resentment, anxiety, unsatisfied desire. There's a whole preach on that. I haven't got time, okay? This is the mind that is characteristic of this world, not of the kingdom of God. But it's hard to cultivate that kind of mind. If you just drift, if you avoid contact with needy people who move you to compassion, if you keep yourself surrounded by people like you who fuel your ego and massage your, you'll become like them. Perhaps full debauchery is not your goal. Perhaps you just want the 50-50 deal. Christian, but without all the commitment stuff to become a saint. James talks of that kind of person. You need to read it yourself. The little book of James at the end of the New Testament, James chapter 1, he calls that person double-minded. Double-minded. A foot in both camps. And depending on the day of the week or the mood you're in, you'll walk either more God's way or you'll strut more the world's way. And what James will teach in that chapter of chapter 1 is, you know, you could ask God for wisdom, but he won't give it to you because you're playing around. You're double-minded. But there's a third kind of mind. It's a kingdom mind. And this is the primary place where the kingdom breaks through. Uh, uh, this is Galatians chapter 5. You need to read that chapter this afternoon. Do yourself a favor before you watch the NFL. Go and read chapter 5 of the book of Galatians. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. And instead of resentment, there's love. And instead of anxiety, there's peace. And instead of unsatisfied desires, there's joy. There's joy. Guiding the flow of your thoughts, your feelings will change. You guide them by what you allow yourself to be exposed to. So listen to the New Testament. The Apostle Paul says, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Or he says, we have the mind of Christ. Or he says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Or Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Not by changing your behavior, but by, by the renewing of your mind. So how does the kingdom come? How does it break through in your sphere? By what you're exposing your mind to. And for some of you this morning, you need to some, some mind renewal business needs to go on. So how do you renew your mind? Well, listen to Philippians chapter 4. Finally, friends, whatever is true, whatever is noble, 
whatever is right, whatever is admirable, anything that is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I need to expose myself to those resources that will incline me to the right kind of thoughts, and I need to minimize my exposure to those resources that will incline me to the wrong kind of thoughts. It's as simple as that. It's the law of the tree and the law of exposure. Make God present around you as constant as possible. Open the Scriptures. Read them. Find good friends. Be amongst the poor where God most is. Help people. Listen to worship music. Serve in ministry. Be in a small group. Oh, yeah, got one minute. Let me end by speaking real practical about one of the biggest things preventing you becoming true, noble, and right, and good. And I could talk about social media, but I won't. Let's talk about that little or large screen that you spend exorbitant amounts of time in front of, either via Comcast or DirecTV or Netflix or Apple TV or Amazon or Hulu or YouTube. It's watchable in every room of your house, anytime, anywhere, thanks to modern technology. Thank you. Thank you, technology. I can't remember the last time that I talked to someone who said, last night I spent the whole night watching TV, and today I'm filled with so much love, peace, and joy. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the last time I heard that. It's the law of exposure, folks. So this week, real practical, guys, real practical. This week, you get six days left, six and a half. Well, you've got to watch your football, so you've only got six left. No, there's Monday night as well. You've only got five left. Oh, shoot, Thursday night now as well. Four days left, guys, okay? <laughs> Try switching it off. Try sitting together as a couple over, over your meal at night and talk. Try reading a good book or listening to good music. <laughs> Notice I didn't say Christian music, okay? Because it's not all good. Pfft, don't get me going in Christian music and how it's all about me. Read some of the Bible. I'm not asking you to read it all night. But read a chapter or two. Journal your thoughts. Pray at the end of reading it. God, what were you saying to me? Help me hear you. Go for a walk. It's getting cool enough to do that. Volunteer to help at the thrift store, renewed thrift store. Talk to Lerma. Go and volunteer your time there. Help at CR. Go and visit an older family member or an old person who you know shut in and sits in the house, got no company. Learn a new language. Bake. And bring all the goodies to the church office. <laughs> People, the inside can change. It really can. But only if you follow the law of the tree. It's from the inside out that the kingdom of God breaks through.
So let me finish. Listen to this. Hear it very carefully. You are who you have made yourself become. You have made decisions on what to listen to, what to watch, what to absorb, what to hear, what to digest, what to expose yourself to. You have made you who you are. And all this time, Christ is extending a fascinating invitation. Expose yourself to the life in the kingdom of God. Think on it. Be intentional about living that sort of life. Dwell in truth, in love, in grace, in mercy, in kindness, in patience, in gentleness. And as you do that, your mind, the law of the tree, will begin to reveal the fruits of the life of God coming through you. And you will become good. And goodness is the way of Jesus. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. But that's a whole nother preach. Let's stand for closing prayer. Oh God. Oh God. To think how much last week we poured into our minds that contradicts the kind of life you want to give us. And the kind of life you want to give us is not this religious, pious, monaristic, monotistic, dull life. You want to give us eternal life. More life than we can cope with. But we shut off that valve because we buy in to the way of the world and the things that it wants us to think about, we allow to happen. And we wonder why Christianity seems so empty and boring and dull and religious. We've missed the life. So this week, God, help us take some very clear steps to make sure that what's going on inside our minds bears fruit that is of your life and of your kingdom. And creates in us the goodness of Christ. Come and help us. And help us with our, cho- with our thoughts and our choices. In Christ's name, amen.